This is Life Until Death. I'm Rach. I'm Nicole. We've just messed this up about 26,000 times, so let's just crack on. Yes, exactly. Welcome to our first podcast. So you'll be going on a listening journey as we go on a learning journey about how to actually record a podcast. Every day is a school day. (laughs) So I'm Nicole. Brief introduction. I run a death cafe in Taunton. Um, I've been doing it for a few years now. We've just gone online due to, you know, current plague situation. Um, I'm also a student nurse in my second year with a passion for end-of-life care. She loves the dead. Yeah, I'm Rach. Um, (laughs) I work in mental health. I have done for about a century. Um, Currently working in crisis care. We've just set up a response line um, for covid not directly for COVID, um, you know, I mean, mental health COVID. Um, yeah, that, that's me. And we both share a love of, I guess you could say death in, you know, the fact that we both like graveyards. We both, I do cemetery photography. Rachel does graveyard gardening. Um, we that's, like the- that's not gardening dead people. We, we look after like the, the flowers and stuff around the dead people. Yes, the plants. Yeah, um, <laughs> we both enjoy history. Um, you know, I that don't enjoy history. Well, like when it comes to dead people, right? Yeah, but that's that's different, isn't it? It's not like you know Henry the Eighth or anything. Okay, well, I'm not going to talk about Henry the Eighth. I'm going to talk about history to do with death and mourning and etc. So relevance. Yep. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how have you been anyway? Exactly. Me? Um, Are you talking to the audience? I have been doing fine. Um, I am in currently, what is it, week like 306 of lockdown right now? Yes, yes it is. It feels like it. Um, (coughs) To be honest, I find that things are pretty good. Um, I'm exercising a lot more. Um, You know, I'm I'm, I'm not. (laughs) Hey, you know. You're going out on walks. That's fine. I'm going out on walks to go and like forage for stuff so I can make wine. Um, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Tidying up my garden, um, going across the graveyard, see my dead people. But beyond that, I'm, I'm not doing... What is that thing that you were doing? It was Joe's PE class or something? Yeah, it was Joe Wicks. So I started with the PE class um, with my kid and then my kid quickly lost interest. So I just continued. (laughs) I empathize with said kid. (laughs) And then I graduated to his adult classes, um, like for adults, not adult as in naughty. (laughs) Joe's Uh, adult classes. (laughs) (laughs) And I've I've actually moved on now to um, Chloe Ting. Um, So she has like a four week summer shred challenge. Um, So I'm shredding it every day now. Um, Her name sounds great. Chloe Ting. I know. I wish mine was so catchy. Mine's got too many syllables in it. Well, just um, like stuff. Nicole stuff. Yeah, I'll just. <laughs> it so it sounds like you're sneezing every time you say your name. <laughs> name sponsored by COVID. I mean, it kind of sucks because we were supposed to go out on placement with um school and everything. Yeah, um, we have the same, man. Yeah, so my hours are going to be way down. Um, doing work online, but it's not quite the same as being in practice, as you know. Yeah, 
no, I was meant no. to be having a, a work placement with Mind, which would have been really, really awesome. Because oh. um, I'm doing my mental health management degree. So I'm in the same boat as you, you know, studying, living off the land or, you know, student finance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, student Thank finance. Thank you, student finance, for just taking forever to do anything, but then paying us a pittance so we can study and benefit yes. society. Um, this broadcast is, is not sponsored by student <laughs> finance. <laughs> <laughs> me alive right now just um, you guys <laughs> whoa no uh these viewpoints do not represent <laughs> absolutely no anyway let's move on let's move on let's move on let's for a good move scene. on yes um, um so yeah so, i yeah. meant to be i'm meant to be having a placement and um, it had to get cancelled because of the apocalypse but it was actually quite strange because my pe- my placement was meant to be to do with helping them with their crisis line and now through my new job I've just set one up. So, hey, nice. you can pay for this one. Very nice. Yeah. Um, they're sending us out on a late placement, which will also be paid. Um, uh, but I was supposed to go to actually work in palliative care at, uh, in Exeter. So wow. that would have been amazing. So we're both missing out on our placements. But it sounds like we've been pretty productive in the meantime anyway. Yeah, well, in fairness, I don't think we're ever going to lack that that motivation because I think we'll probably die early from doing too much. Probably, it it feels like it for sure. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's enjoy it while it's here. Let's make many Uh a podcast. I can rest when I'm dead. (laughs) Yeah, that's not even funny. That's my life. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, you know, for example, with my death cafe, it has completely exploded um, since. Man, you've been doing some really good stuff. It's been really interesting to watch, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never even thought of a virtual cafe as a viable option. But, you know, when this happened and we had to move online rather than a physical venue, um, I just started getting interest from all over the world. Um, and I've been interviewed with Sky News, Channel 5, um, some us outlets a swedish outlet that was really random um you know like i've been getting so much coverage and we have so many people now logging on and doing these uh cafes on zoom and on facebook live and it's really great i feel like i'm really you know making a difference kind of um it's been really it's been ace to watch it actually get off the well, it was off the ground anyway you're doing a great job but to watch it as man's using an online platform because it's it's not something you would have thought of before because death cafe is talking about death and eating cake and sitting next to each other but now i, I can sit in the comfort of my own room look like crap eat cake and speak to you guys on the internet which is yeah. even better yeah um i think people are really seeing that you know death is kind of all around us and it's a bit a little bit closer than normal and so i think people are realizing hey now's the time to talk about death mm. i mean the um, interview that i did for you for was it dying matters awareness week that's right uh, yeah oh yeah speaking about mental health and talking about death and the perceptions that people have when you've got mental illness and you talk about dying um because they automatically assume that you want to kill yourself And that's, it was a really, really interesting topic because, you know, mental health people have got the right to talk about death. It's, it's different whether you, you want to kill yourself to when you want to plan for what's actually inevitably going to happen. So having that discussion and putting it out there on the internet, I think it had a really good response as did the other ladies that did interviews for the other sections. Yeah, definitely. It was really good. Dying Matters Awareness Week. It was really bringing voices to, um, you know, to people we don't really hear from. Uh, when we talk about death um, and like you said, mental health, mental health and, you know, death as a 
concept and idea of biological process are so intertwined. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the, you know, on in the awareness week, I talked mm. about the morbidity of people with mental illness and how that's increased. Um, yeah, that totally helped my depression. Thanks. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You're going to die young. Cheers. Sorry. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, you're doing things to try and keep that from happening. I mean, not like making a bunch of wine and drinking it, but you know, well, yeah, all the cigarettes I've been smoking during lockdown and mead I've been drinking. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. I'm blind, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm enjoying it while I'm here. I'm, I'm enjoying my life, even <laughs> if it is horrifically short. Grandma Rachel's old-fashioned bathtub mead. <laughs> my tick turn. There's <laughs> <laughs> oh. me walking around, like, goth mascara sprawled up my eye because I can't actually see my own face anymore. <sighs> I so look forward to those. No, let's not talk about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I've been looking into things recently with mental health responses into COVID. Mm-hmm. There's been a few like interesting things that have come out of it. There's been talks because it's been Mental Health Awareness Week this week or last week, as you guys will notice, because we have to, you know, edit stuff and put it through Spotify. Um, <laughs> but we've been looking at sort of mental health care workers as well and the burnout which we're having i mean i I was working in a mental health inpatient environment when lockdown first happened and i just i changed jobs as you do in the middle of the apocalypse Mm. and i no longer had to work in that environment but i was looking at the people around me and the fact that we are expected to care for other people when like we had no idea what was going on so if you come to work and the streets were empty and you'd go into the hospital that you'd always go into and you'd have to wear masks and you know mental health care you don't very often wear gloves it's it was just really bizarre you know what I mean it's it's having to respond to something that's that no one's ever had to deal with but also make sure that you're on point for other people and I just I I really struggle to get my head around that and there's been a couple of articles out sort of saying there's one by the I think it's New Statesman um and it was saying that they want a dedicated mental health crisis line for health and social care workers. And I think that's a really great idea because when you're expected to be sort of on top of your shit for other people, sometimes you forget to look after yourself. I know I do because self-care is, is one of my things that I, I struggle with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what do you, what do you think about that? Is it something, cause obviously you're a, you're a second year nursing student. So this, you got a whole world to go into my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You enjoy yeah. the study time. Yeah. I love the study time. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I've been reading a lot actually about the effect of um, this whole COVID situation on um, medical staff Um hmm you know, especially focusing on palliative care, which is my, you know, kind of my passion, um, but also critical care workers, because they're the ones, you know, they're actually, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of critical care um, staff becoming palliative care um, doctors, like having that, you know, mm. that experience. Um, and it's, it's really contrary to what we're, you know, medicine is supposed to fix. Medicine is supposed to fix people. Um, yeah. And I think when you have, so you, you have healthcare workers who, you know, deny death, who aren't, who don't need to necessarily know the palliative care principles um, because 
you know, their job is to help people get better. I'm not saying they don't handle death well, but when you have something like this, where the scale of death is just incredible, you know, that is taking a toll on them for sure. You know, you've got resources, you know, that are overstrained, you have death everywhere um, and the threat of death everywhere. Um, and you've got these really difficult conversations. Um, you posted an article, didn't you, on the Facebook page that was relating to this? I'm not going to pretend that I read it because I didn't, but it sounds familiar. <laughs> That's okay. We're, we're all busy. Dedicated people. to the cast. It was, a, it was an opinion piece by a nurse called I Accept Death. I hope doctors and nurses will too. Uh, yeah, that's um, and it was talking about how to safeguard the mental health of critical care workers who are, like I said, having the duty, ha just even just having difficult conversations all the time under, you know, behind a mask, behind sort of like a veil of, you know, PPE. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, that's one thing that got posted up online, wasn't it? The, um, they were all hazmat suit up, but they had a picture of their faces when they were smiling because you couldn't actually physically see someone's face. And that's funny yeah. enough, actually, something that we've adopted um, working within my little crisis line remit because it's still the same. You don't see someone's face because you can't. But we're going to start posting out our pictures when we take in referrals, which I thought was a really nice idea. Oh, that is nice. Yeah, because... You're just a faceless voice, much as we are now, otherwise. <laughs> so it's, it's just nice to have, when you're caring for someone when they're at the lowest depth, to actually give a bit of yourself across as well. Yeah, and I mean, when somebody's dying, you know, if they can't have all their family there, you know, they're having these, you know, deathbed Zoom conversations, mm. and, or not even conversations. If they're ventilated, you know, not, there's no talking going on there, really. Um, mm. But, you know, a, I think I read a piece by a doctor a little while ago saying that she promised to hold the hand of every patient that she came across dying of COVID. And I'm like, that's wow. nice, but you're still wearing gloves. You're still masked up and gowned up. So how do you, it's like, how do you have that, that physical and emotional connection that you want to give? You know, it's not just for the patient. To be honest, the patient is probably beyond, you know, caring or thinking about it at that point. But for the, the doctor, you know, for the healthcare professional, um, you know, it's, it's a serious toll for sure. It puts you in a bit of an ethical crisis because this is one of the things that I've encountered with my team is when you're dealing with top end mental health crisis, the same as when you're dealing with top end physical crisis, it can become, you can get compassion fatigue because mm -hmm. you're dealing with that top end of stuff all the time. You're not seeing a good payoff as a result of it. So it's just soul destroying at points, but it's been a real work in progress trying to keep up our morale up and speaking to people. And even if you just have days where you come home and like I do frequently have a beer and sit down and just acknowledge the fact that things are pretty messed up right now mm -hmm. definitely definitely Ugh. we need to stop viewing first of all we need to stop viewing death as a complete failure um of ourselves because it's not you know the deaths from this this um disease are not our fault you know there's only a certain point you know, yeah, I mean, what, what are you meant to do about it? You can't do anything. There's no cure, is there, at the moment? It's just trying to maintain people's wellness. Exactly. I mean, we can, you know, we're not going to go into the whole, like, you know, political government, yes, like, you know, that. yeah, et cetera. There are other podcasts that will do that a lot better than us. So and really, I don't give a shit. 
<laughs> when I'm talking about blame, I mean healthcare professionals that blame themselves personally for not saving somebody. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there's one thing I did want to focus on a little bit because I know people like myself and I've got a mental health diagnosis. I don't make any bones about it. I think there's lots of people that have got mental health quirks that are able to function to a certain level in whatever they choose to do. Um, My levels are somewhat fluctuant at the moment, but I'm okay with that. I'm in the midst of the apocalypse being kind. Um, But there's been a, well, there was a little story that I read and it was saying basically that due to lockdown, there's been a bit of a paradoxical effect with a lot of people. So during the lockdown, obviously domestic violence has surged. There's been low paid workers on zero hour contracts, leaking rough. Um, People have been going through a really shitty time. That's, completely acknowledged and there's been loads of resources put out there which has been amazing finally people are actually focusing on the fact that they need to keep themselves mentally well and not just physically well but i think a lot of us have noticed as well and the ones that have perhaps had a mental health journey before i feel a bit better during this and i felt kind of guilty because i was feeling better when you've got all these adverts on telly saying you know oh you need that if you need the support it's here which is cool that's that's amazing but i didn't feel like i needed that and I was kind of questioning with myself. I was like, am I broken? Is there something wrong with the fact that I like being indoors and I don't have the pressure to see people and run around like a million miles an hour? And then when I read this article, it was actually my astrologer friend that posted it up. And it was saying that there's, there was a survey done um, and it was like 74,000 people or something. And it showed that there was an in, like an initial decline in happiness, obviously due to lockdown, because lockdown, we've never had to do that before. And then well-being levels rose over the last few weeks and anxiety disorders have fallen. And it's mainly been the people that have experienced those issues before. So has there been a sort of lockdown relief? You know, are we, are we adjusting to things because we dealt with life and felt really crap about it before? What do you think? Is it? Is yeah, that I'm, I think that, <clears throat> well, for example, we're find we're discovering that a lot of things, a lot of things, work, school, meetings, whatever, can be done online. There was no need for people to get dressed up, drive to the office for eight hours to sit there and do their work at a computer in another place and then come home. Um, I think a lot of stress and anxiety that people feel is, you know, the pressure to kind of keep up with the modern day-to-day life. And I think you know, I will say with a caveat that this lockdown has helped people slow down a bit. I don't feel like I'm slowing down personally. Um, you, I don't think you'll ever slow down, my love. I don't think, I don't no. think that's a setting you possess. Um, I still feel like, you know, although everything's on Zoom, you have like a lot of appointments now. It's mm. very much like, okay, at 12, I got to get on with this. And then at one, I've got a meeting. And then at two, I've got this uh, chat with my solicitor. And then at, you know, eight, we're doing, you know, online D&D or whatever. And it's like, these are all relatively easy things. And just on the computer, you don't have to go anywhere, but you still have to think, yes, I have all of these things scheduled and I can't do anything at this time because I've got to go do this. Um, See, I've been a bit the opposite with that because... I mean, I've been starting a new job and there's a big team of people which you would have to get trained up on computer systems that they they absolutely wouldn't have had to use before. So that's been interesting. Um, 
but for the vast majority of the time I can just put on a nice shirt and have really crappy pants on and not crappy but you know what I mean you know what I'm doing that wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can crap myself and go to work at the same time on the internet no that's that's um, different that's the a different views page. Of Rachel are not <laughs> of the Life Until Death podcast team. <laughs> Should we just have like a little recording? And each time I say yeah. something, <laughs> button I can press. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's. Oh, I've, no, I, I get have it. To say, I've liked it. The only thing I've really, really hated about this is the fact I haven't seen my son for crap. What's it been like? over two months now because my ex-husband's girlfriend is going through chemotherapy so we couldn't do the, the whole between two households things it was too risky for her and you know like I'm a single mum I've got to do my job here and I couldn't do it with a an awesome yet slightly nuts seven-year-olds running around so we've been facetiming all the time um and that's been crappy mm. but the vast majority of everything else I really like I've got time to do my own garden and not garden for everyone else and all of the dead folk across the road and I can sit here and not draw on my eyebrows and go to work and have to look like I'm okay oh I've been plucking like crazy though like my picking in the mirror has just like increased like tenfold (laughs) you're gonna come back and have like the worst goth eyebrows in the world (laughs) where you physically have to draw them on because you ain't got nothing left Exactly. It's not just eyebrows either. Like any little blemish or anything, I'm just pick it, pick it, pick what it. And, like, and I even, I move on from me and I move on to my partner, Drew, and just like pick it all of his skin things as well. And I just like, I can't help it. <laughs> He's got lots of facial hair though. You don't need to do that around the nose. That hurts. I'd imagine. Oh, I mean, I don't have to plug my own nose hairs yet. <laughs> yet. No, not, <laughs> have not come yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I do feel, I feel better. I feel better. I feel like there is less pressure, even though I'm quite busy, there's less pressure. I don't have to be somewhere. Um, mm. you know, and it's all the little things aside from like school and work as well. Like all the social things out and about, um, you know, those take- not, there's not the pressure to engage all the time. Cause for me, it was like, I was rushing around from pillar to post. I've lived quite a few different places. So I've got little pockets of friends all over sort of in our area and I was always feeling the pressure to constantly engage with people because I was scared of what I'd be missing otherwise and then when everyone else had to do exactly the same thing as me and just sit on your ass and sit at home there wasn't you know it completely leveled the playing field and even I was thinking about this with my mum the other day like I'd been factored out of quite a few social things because I didn't have the money to go and it's completely leveled all that down because no one can go anywhere. No one can do anything. There's not like any elitism in the sort of activities you can do because it's all on the internet. Definitely. Now it's like how creative and how clever and how whatever can you be and what can you bake and what can you like, you know, how nice is your rainbow that you're painting for your window kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm not that person. <laughs> <laughs> you know Um, i'm not i mean i can appreciate it it's lovely and stuff i just no no well yeah and i mean it's really helped me like you know when i go back like as far as keeping fit and everything like i'm probably in the best shape i've ever been in my life which is amazing and me too man me too mentally (laughs) physically i'm a fucking wreck but mentally i'm spot on well i'm talking physical for sure and i don't to be honest i don't think i'm going back to my gym like i canceled my gym membership before this happened and i don't think i'm going back cuz i don't need to like you know there's 
all sorts of things that I've discovered I can do, you know, in the comfort of my own home. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's made things a lot simpler. And to be honest, when I have anxiety now, it's more about what's going to happen when lockdown's over and what's mm. happening. Because I feel quite secure in my living situation right now. Yeah, no, um, I get you on that. I think it's just the prospect of things going back to how they were. But the shit bits, not the nice bits that we've adopted. And we, I mean, I think we're in quite a lucky position because we're both students. We both got the blessed student finance. Um, <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. Um, and, wow. you know, I've, I've got a wage coming in. So it's because we work in healthcare and there's, there's always going to need to be people that do that job. So we're in a really lucky position. We don't have food insecurity. We don't have the same kind of pressures as other people have got. And I totally acknowledge that. But for people like us who do have the opportunity to be at home and feel a little bit more looked after because the work is there for us. Mm-hmm. Man, things haven't been too bad in my world. They really haven't. I mean, it's just me and the cat and my garden i mean it'd be nice to see your kid but other than yeah. that and the crippling caverns of my own head <laughs> but beyond that beyond that i'm good i'm all good all good so, yeah it gives you time to focus on starting a podcast which we've been mean to do for like 200 centuries so yeah. now's been the time and like you said when i first sent you that text message it's been your lifelong dream for the last three months so we thought <laughs> then you know why wouldn't we just crack on and buy all the expensive kit to be doing a podcast and make my spare room into a podcasting den on a whim? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you have like a podcast office because I'm literally perched on the edge of my bed talking into a mic that's kind of like, it's actually, I've been looking at it and one of the oh, like, just a mental image of Drew just holding it up, sitting there like a <laughs> table. <laughs> Pass yeah, he, me my microphone slave. <laughs> he can't hold his arm still that long. Like um like he's got like this mic has like literally one leg almost off the desk and i've just noticed it but i don't want to move it because you like gaffer tape it's something (laughs) (laughs) i'm just hoping it doesn't fall over in the middle of broadcast but if it does we'll just we'll roll with that so this is like rough cut podcasting like this is like you know grassroots down to earth yeah yeah exactly really anyway I'm going to go into my bit, which is the life of. Okay. Uh, we decided we're going to have a little bit of a flow to this stuff. So we'll, we'll start doing my bit, which is the life bit. And then we'll do the death bit because that's the natural order of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> one of the things that I picked was it was an article by Forbes.com by a lady called Nancy Doyle. And I've got a lovely picture of her looking smiley and wearing something that's far too orange for her. Um, But it was called The World Needs Neurodiversity. Unusual times call for unusual thinking. So it was basically saying the world's at an early stage of grief now and we're grieving for 2020 and what we're planning to have. I know that I am because I had an amazing holiday booked to Salem in October, which has now been (laughs) cancelled. Sucks to be me right now. So we've moved from sort of the preoccupation um, with the intellectual and social pursuits that we had to survive. And we've had to recalibrate our social norms. So some of us are in denial. It's not me. I've totally accepted it. Um, Some of us are in anger or bargaining. Move past that. We're all good. But we're flicking between our our reptile brain, which keeps us alive, and our mammal brain, which holds us, holds our values, social abilities in our neocortex. 
which is a bit in the brain. Um, and that's where we can make our decisions. But the last roller coaster that we've been on over the last few weeks has led to many of us that experience neurodiversity um, to experience like a flight or, or fright or freeze response. And in response to the situation, it's, it's not perceiving dangerousness in a conventional sense for a lot of people that are neurodiverse. So there's a more widely acknowledged threat at the moment, and that's COVID. And our brains are really quite weirdly wired to be able to be equipped to cope with these things sometimes. Because like I was saying to you before, I mean, Christ, I've been therapied up to the eyeball since the age of 12. So I've got a few therapeutic tools, even if I choose not to deploy them and use unhelpful coping mechanisms like moonshine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> send me blind. Um, but she was saying like, there's been a lot of people say perhaps with things like autism. Um, and they're in an interesting space at the moment because sometimes autistic people and i'm only speaking from sort of a perspective of this lady because that's not something i've experienced myself but she is saying that with autism there's a thing called a social battery and that's the amount of energy that's needed to cope with social interactions um and that's not being taxed to the same extent and i was kind of saying that myself you know there isn't the pressure to constantly just be engaged with people it's exhausting um but it's leaving a bit more of a value for cognitive capacity so when it comes to problem solving creating planning starting podcasts you know doing all that amazing shit um and she was also saying that shakespeare wrote king Lear whilst in quarantine i didn't know that you probably did because you're far better at history than i am um you're an english major aren't you yeah but i kind of avoided shakespeare i was an english major in the u.s so it was a completely different it makes nothing to me even here so good <laughs> off to you good off to you uh, but it, it was saying um basically when the extroverts stop demanding video conferencing and calm the fuck down that some of us can have a creative burst and start yeah, stuff like i'm that. feeling that like i don't know how many like invitations i've declined for like trivia night <laughs> and pub quiz, like and it's I like it's really hell. nice it's really nice that people are are arranging those things yeah but for me it's kind of it's a bit retrospective so i was like when i was doing 12 and 14 hour shifts you bunch of bastards when i was trying to say to you hey <laughs> let's have a little chat online let's do this and do that and now they're like, like what no let me, let's join to this you know join let's watch a crappy film night and i'm like bitch i'm at home doing my thing now i'm established in this if you feel the need to push your need for interaction on me then it will be on my terms exactly i don't need other people to watch a crappy film i got oh, netflix i can have my cat it. exactly exactly oh. it's it's nice that people are arranging these things but it's just another pressure Let me to attend to them it's another social <laughs> pressure. <laughs> and when you spend all day trying to be productive the last thing you want to do is you know eight o'clock is log on to zoom and do a pub quiz you know like you just got to sit there and look like you give a shit. And I just don't have the energy for that right now. I mean, I don't generally. You know what I'm like. But it's less so. Less so. Yeah. But yeah, no, she's she basically saying that neuro-minorities have got lived experience of isolation, which is mm. pretty much what I've said for the last 45 minutes. And it's, we got a limited choice sometimes. Um, and it makes us really well suited to the lack of these new social interactions and mainly but not all of us experience a degree of social isolation due to the differences that we've got it's like i'm a six foot one weird ass goth who's got bipolar and 
is quite sarcastic. So, you know, I'm, I've been used to being socially awkward since the age of 12. Um, I'm almost 32 now, so that ain't going anywhere. And as a result of it, I've sort of had to click into my own little tribe of weirdos. There isn't, there hasn't been that many people in my life over the last 20 odd years that haven't been a bit strange, but that's kind of working for me now. And it's working for a lot of other people because if you've already got those little clicks where you function in, even if it's not mainstream clicks, then you've got people to go to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But she's saying that some, some, some through choices, you know, some, we make the choice to not interact with wider society, which I totally get. Um, why but, would you want to do that? <laughs> why? Why would I want to speak to you? Um, <laughs> through a podcast for goodness knows how many hours. But she was saying that there's been sort of a misunderstood struggle to make connections. And for this reason, we may feel more familiar than most of our friends with socialising online or finding purpose or meaning in our hobbies or interests or spending quality time looking after looking after ourselves a bit more and finding out what makes us tick and you know even enjoying your own company and I know I laugh and joke about it but you know I've been rubbish at being in my own space I mean man I tried to make my marriage work again during lockdown because I think maybe I was just frightened of being alone I mean you told me but I panic shopped for dick and (laughs) man you were so spot on and it filled that space for like six eight weeks and sure did not slating the guy down but it's yeah I really really struggled with being in my own company and just the thought of being in my own head on my own for a limitless amount of time was just terrifying and then when I realized my own company wasn't that bad it just kind of became a bit of an adventure to find out who I am again because I've been a mum for the last seven years I've been a wife twice um (laughs) over the last 10 years God, I'm going to be like the gothic version of Joan Collins. Um, <laughs> smoking a cigar with my cat and my Gucci dress and my 26th husband. Um, well, if you want 26, you need to move on from number two. Like, Yeah, I'm not striking target, man. I'm not striking target. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my, I'm not too bad. You know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm kind of getting used to liking myself on my own. And that sounded really touchy-feely. But you know what I mean? It's... I think when you're faced with being either with a really small group of people, like the people in your household or just even yourself, there's a massive learning curve to go on there. And for me and my now ex has recent ex-husband, it's been, you know, we realized that we actually didn't like each other very much. And that was probably a good thing, to be honest. It only took a worldwide pandemic. It only took the fucking apocalypse to work that one out. And funnily enough, me and my previous ex oh man i'm gonna have to like label them one two on a um ex-husband number one um we've been getting on better we've hated each other's guts for like seven years but now we're actually talking and we're communicating for our little boy which is amazing Mm. and literally it's only taken for the world almost to end but (laughs) i'm forming those bonds again it's been it's been nuts it's just been nuts it has and yeah i've been so as you know, um, my situation is that, you know, my soon to be ex-husband is staying with his girlfriend and mm-hmm. I'm staying with my current partner mm-hmm. in the family home. And our daughter goes between us every other week. And actually, you know, it's been 
the situation has been really good. Um, you know, it's which bizarre, is why, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's going really well. And it's like if there hadn't been a this quarantine and everything going on, like it would have been so much more difficult to sort out custody and who's going to be where and that kind of thing. Which is, like I said, why I feel so much anxiety about this ending because I don't know what's going to happen afterwards. I mean, I'm kind of. I'm- I'm hoping that we'll we'll still keep some of the good elements, like you know, both of us getting on with our exes well to be able to function better for the kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there has been some amazing things to come out of it. People are just generally not being assholes to each other quite as much, which is in the UK amazing. <laughs> but it's there has been some benefits, you know, like the world is breathing again, even if I'm smoking more. People are getting on a little bit better, or they secondhand smoke. You are breathing in all my fumes, <laughs> but you know, I... even working out that you really don't like people. And I was having a chat with my friend, and she was sort of saying, "I don't feel the need to interact with these assholes anymore." Because she was saying she goes down to the pub after work and sits there because she's got she doesn't feel like she's got any other choice because it's the only cool bar where we used to live. Um, but the people that drink there, she there's a few of them that she doesn't like and i don't want to get her in the shit by saying all of them because that might be wrong uh, like his name is James. his name is dave and dave is an asshole uh, but yeah setting those boundaries up for yourself like because you feel the pressure to interact with people maybe that you wouldn't choose to because there is a lack of social interaction there in your life and then when you've got the choice when you step back you go well, why the fuck am i actually still doing this Exactly. I think people are, are learning what their priorities are and you see it, um, in, with funerals, um, especially like, um, you know, we talk about in death cafe a lot, how COVID has disrupted the usual, um, sort of funeral and celebration of life or wake for the person. Um, Mm. and I think people are realizing that, you know, the important thing is the connection is the, is being there with your family and friends and being able to hug and comfort each other physically. Um, you know, there is a time and a place for zoom funerals and I'm not saying that they're totally bad. Um, there are positives and negatives. Um, you know, you would have never looked at doing something like that before now, would you? And the fact that it's actually developed is amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and people are, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what funerals are going to be like after this is over, whether or not people are going to massively pare things down because they realize that they don't need all of the big, you know, trappings or if they're going to kind of explode into like, mm. well, we've had months and months to plan this amazing celebration of life. So let's have a huge ass party, you know, man, uh, I love the idea that you're talking about. It was you and Drew the other day about saying, what was it? Having a party before you die, like a pre-death party. Um, yes. Oh, I'm like, such a good idea because I, I've got strict guidelines with my funeral. I mean, you have to mourn me hard and there has to be a certain amount of tears that are shed. Mm-hmm. Per person, and I, I could per measure person. that if I'm being. If I'm being Get a little cap like they measure rainwater with, like yeah. And- what are they called? The, the, the conical flasks. I'll just go beneath people's tear ducts with those and be like, "You will weep more, or yeah. I will actually die." <laughs> yeah, fortieth birthday. I'm having a wake. Everyone's invited. Um, you can go come up and say stuff about me as if I was dead. We'll have a slideshow. We'll have. That could go um, one or two ways though. Well, no, nobody says anything bad about dead people, do they? 
yeah. especially not at their funeral. Um, yeah, we'll have, yeah, I guess it's true. We'll have a buffet, some good funeral food. You know, it'll be great. We'll play. It's not going to be like Jonestown, and it's going to be like, well, this is everyone's funeral now. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have some Kool Aid and just sit the fuck down together no, forever. Why? I'm still alive, so nobody would want to drink the Kool Aid. It's fine. <laughs> oh man but i I really liked that idea i thought it was a really really nice way because it's not anything that i've thought of before and each time i go to death cafe there's there's like a new nugget of death information that i i grasp onto (laughs) it's just really liberating having a conversation about shuffling off this mortal coil without being all depressing about it definitely people love planning their funerals like i have to literally be like okay you know sure let's talk about you know what song you want at your funeral let's talk about this you know what color do you want people to wear what do you want to wear you know and it all seems very trivial but to that person planning it it's super important and like i said it's kind of fun people love to plan a party um so yeah why not enjoy that while you're alive and have a living funeral oh makes absolute sense i mean i'm all for a party anytime anywhere my, no that's a lie actually because i know what the places where i used to live are like western supermare don't ever drink there man um <laughs> but worry. oh yeah you don't drink anymore do you no i don't oh it's okay i can do that for you i can do that okay. i can take on that burden take it take one for the team <laughs> and like, go extra blind <laughs> one for me one for nicole one for my eyes <laughs> but yeah you were <laughs> Back on to like the topic of death, there was, I was driving to work one night when I was still doing night shifts in the inpatient unit and from the little sleepy place that I live going into town, going along the main road, you went past the big main cemetery and this place is freaking huge mm. and they, they'd thrown tarps around like, you know, like coverings around the fences around there because they were having to dig so many graves and that read that was the moment where i've got properly freaked out and when i got home that morning so i wasn't at work the next night i watched pandemic i listened to war of the worlds i drank a bottle of whiskey and like i saturated myself in the terror and then i was just done it was out it was all out there and i felt better and i'm not advocating that but it did the trick for me but actually seeing that and seeing that people were trying to protect other people in the community from having to see that response you know like digging extra graves which naturally is going to have to happen because people are dying but yeah that really freaked me out definitely i mean if i told you that one person in the uk dies every single minute would you freak out no but that's the normal statistic you know somebody's dying all the time you know and it's like you know it's like people are getting very worried about death now um saying oh i haven't made a will oh i haven't done this you know it feels like there's a timeline like things are shorter and uh, you know my whole thing is there's always been a timeline you know like (laughs) i think it feels a bit more pressing now i mean i've been going to your death cafe since i mean it popped up on my facebook we've got a one-year anniversary that happened about three weeks ago celebrate it where is my present um it's it's over here come are you keeping it it? you you can't yeah (laughs) you asshole (laughs) i also baked you a cake so in a few months when this is over you can have some oh i enjoy that thanks bud um (laughs) it's like miss havisham like you'll be wearing your wedding dress crumbling which one which one (laughs) both both at the same time boom 
Oh, but yeah, no, it's. I can't even remember what we're saying now. What were we saying? You were talking about cake. I don't know. Oh, we were talking about neurotypical and neurodiverse people and how they were handling that. That was it. Yeah. Because basically, it's the stages of panic and alarm have faded now. And I think, even though, I mean, you had people like me, and I think a lot of people, like, I complete. I had my night of just freaking out. I was crying. I was drinking whiskey. I had War of the Worlds playing in the background. Yeah, I just, I fully saturated myself in that. But you've got other people like our friend Claire, who's a student pan- um, panoramic. She's a student panoramic. <laughs> a paramedic. Paramedic. Um, I mean, I'm just an English major, but I think the word you're looking for is shut paramedic. <laughs> but yeah, no, she's she's been amazing. And so have other friends that work in the healthcare industry, but like she's just cracking the fuck on with it and she turns around to me and she's just like well i get fed now and i get extra food and people are dropping down crumpets and chocolates and stuff so um, is she yeah a, i'm just doing what i've done or <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're just leaving me droppings of crumbs whenever i go to an incident <laughs> like a trail of breadcrumbs but with chocolates yeah and, then and there's somebody having an M- <laughs> there's someone having an mi at the end of the trail <laughs> great um but yeah she's oh she's great i I get what your the article is saying though because you know we're talking about this with death cafe is that people are a lot of people are adjusting to zoom and thinking of it as a replacement for something that's coming back but for a lot of people um a lot of neurodiverse people you know something like zoom or communicating online is the most comfortable form Mm. of communication being in person is can be a nightmare for somebody that has social anxiety that has any kind of you know sort of and you know better than i do so i'm not even going to try and name any kind of um you know any other kind of head quirk let's just call them head quirks okay yeah and i can totally relate to that and a lot of friends have said to me as well when you're feeling like shit, you don't want to go and see people. And there's been quite a few reports of the levels of engagement that have increased with people having to seek either community psychiatric care or just go to therapy because you don't have to physically get up and go somewhere and then leave that space looking like shit with mascara running down your face and have to leave the building really swiftly to get to your car because you look like crap. There has, there's been none of that you know like it's stripped down to bare basics now it's just pick up the phone turn up rock up mm. look and like shit and get your stuff done and then you've got time to focus on that as well it's not like you have to go back to your job in the next 20 minutes yeah i feel like you know with stuff like appointments you often have to psych yourself up to get ready and go to these things and with zoom you can kind of just click it on and be like here i am world you know um here i am with all my baggage <laughs> here i am not wearing any trousers that you can't tell <laughs> i mean i was talking to um maureen because I've, I've still got a community psychiatric nurse even though i'm helping you know setting up a, a service for people with mental health problems mm-hmm. and i hate the word problems quirks quirks is a better term but i was speaking to maureen and maureen she's she's like a psychiatric institution she's my mum's age you wouldn't mess around with her that's what i need in my life but she spoke to me on the phone and she was saying oh no that's it's good that we can do this because i know your schedule's really busy because I, I work in the nhs as well or i did until the start of this mm-hmm. i had like three jobs on the go and we're saying you know oh, we can fit it around both of our schedules a lot better now we can start carrying on the therapeutic work that we we're doing before 
and I was finding it really difficult to switch my head into the stuff that we were doing before because it felt like I had to purge myself through all of the really shitty bits that I'd that, you know I'd lived in my past and then have to suddenly switch on and be like oh I've got to write an assignment now or oh, I've got to go and sort my son out now whereas there's not that pressure there you know, mm-hmm. I can sort of mentally gear myself up for that stuff and then really dedicate some time to it and then shut it down safely in my head as well and put that box back, you know, the lid back on the box. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my relationship with my kid is so much stronger now because I actually mm. have time to spend with her and I'm not like shuffling her here and there and having to do this. I mean, I still got work to do and I still have to set her in front of, you know, her work or a tablet or a project and be like, look, I got to go do this. But it's just better. And I think she's really liked that as well. Um, But it's even like me and Corey being away from him. It's, it's been rubbish, but we've been able to engage with each other in our own ways now. And he's, he's been given a little mobile phone and we talk via WhatsApp because it's only internet enabled to that. But we'll send each other little pictures and he'll send me little voice clips of like, mommy, I love you. And man, that kid, he was away from saying that probably two years ago but now actually engaging in that way I'm like oh that's sweet I know I think spiritually as well I think this is can be an improvement for some people um you know no matter what you're (laughs) well you know palliative care you got to think about people's spiritual needs as well you know (laughs) sorry I'm so untherapeutic for someone that works in men. <laughs> we, we all have spiritual needs, whether you're religious yeah, or not. Yeah, okay. They're what keep us going um, day to day. Um, and I think, you know, for me, for example, you know, I'm religious, but I can, I've never been able to find a church, like a physical church that I've actually liked attending. And I've been doing a ton of online sort of um services and everything and doing my own kind of thing with praying and everything and it's been you know my connection that way is so much stronger and i think it's a good opportunity for people who like me can't find a physical place of worship no matter what your religion and especially if you're if your views are a bit more you know um not traditional and you mm. can't find somewhere to go physically mm. You know, you can connect with communities online and maybe people, more people are exploring that, you know? Yeah. That's been for for me as well, actually, because I'm pagan. So we're we're both end of the spectrum, baby. Um, But it's (laughs) recently we had Beltane, which is basically the pagan festival of shagging and mead, but we couldn't physically do, well, I guess people could have physically done, but we, we couldn't congregate together to drink mead and talk about the maypole and all that stuff. And Mm Yeah, they've, what I did that day was I just put on YouTube videos of Glastonbury where I used to live and the parades and all of the lovely things. And I sat at home and I drank some mead and just generally had a really nice time. So there's been different ways of connecting. And my friend, who's the gothic vicar of Glastonbury, heads up Diana and God, um, (laughs) (laughs) preaching. but yeah, she's been running Zoom churches and she's been interacting in that way. And much the same as you, like she's found more spirituality in this time because naturally being, you know, an amazing Christian lady, she's mm-hmm. really caring for other people. And she's been able Aww. to really call on those resources and she is doing amazing. It's just so nice to see people flourish. And generally those people that actually gave a shit before, but perhaps weren't very recognized for 
for giving a shit. Mm. And now we are noticing those people that have those good, honest qualities. And it's really highlighting the people for the right reasons. It's not highlighting like Instagrammers getting the tatas out on camera and all of the rest of the horrible sort of life-sucking crap that's out there. It's really honing it in on the people that really should have that focus and should be boosted up in society like the healthcare workers people who are representing faiths youtube fitness coaches oh youtube adult fitness coaches man those sessions are so much thanks thank you so much thank you yes i feel marginalized (laughs) i'll just sit here with my bacon sandwich and my cigarette (laughs) and just watch you get fit i totally admire it i totally admire it it's just i think i've I've kind of come to accept the fact that I don't give a shit and I'm okay with that. I mean, maybe I'll, I mean, I was thinking about approaching you and saying, look, what can I do to tone my stuff up? And then I thought, I actually don't care. (laughs) Just don't care. Well, you know, I got rid of drinking, so I had to replace it with some other habit, right? So... (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't talk one habit without putting another one right in front of it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So... That makes a lot of sense. Mm, yes. But no, I'm interested in hearing more about the whole death stuff, because obviously this isn't the first time a pandemic's happened. So yeah, there's there's been stuff... I don't even know where I was going with that. That was like a really shitty quick link. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nice day. No, it's all right. So toast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I smell toast. <laughs> you got your tongue, Rachel. <laughs> Raise your arm. <laughs> One side of my face. <laughs> uh, no, that's normal, isn't it? <laughs> For you. Fuck you man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you for that that wonderful introduction <laughs> that trails no off into worries. stroke territory, apparently. <laughs> uh, so my section, of course, me being all about the death, um, is called In the Death of. So I'm going to talk about specifically the death of a student nurse. Um, which that's a bit close to home. It is very close to home. <laughs> I'm sure my fellow cohort would be like... Do you I'm feel like you're in a safe that. space enough to be able to deal with this right now? I am, because I'm not in practice yet. So yeah. it's kind of, it almost seems far away, far away for me. Um, it's, it's not. I, <laughs> when I... When I look back on this pandemic, I'm, it's going to be in the context of me being a student nurse. I mean, mm. I can't help that. You know, it's, it's affected. Right Sorry? It's what you're living right now. Yeah, it's affected our learning. It's affected, you know, mm. kind of what we're jumping into. Um, and it's shown what nurses are doing. And it's shown people really how important nursing care is. Mm. So I thought, you know... Being as I'm not in, I'm not in it yet. I'm not in the thick of it. I can't really comment on what's happening now. I can look back in time and <laughs> go to right. another another pandemic, um, a really big one. In fact, one of the biggest disasters in human history that people barely talk about now. Um, of course, Is it's that been waiting in- for student finance. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Do you get like, do you get an extra pound for every time you mention student finance on this podcast? No, they take an extra pound away from me. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's totally worth it. <laughs> I'll like, take that one. Nope. 
<laughs> I'm just noping a pound away for every time you tell us we're shit. And I'm like, well, that's, that's money well spent, guys. Sorry, you carry on. So the Spanish flu, biggest disaster um, in human history, barely gets a mention. We've talked about it a bit more now because of obviously the current pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bit of background. The Spanish flu um, was a influenza pandemic um, that lasted about 15 months from spring of 1918 to summer 1919. Um, It killed anywhere between 17 million and 50 million people and possibly up to 100 million people. Sorry, you're going from 17 million to 100 million. (laughs) The thing with the Spanish flu is um, there was count. There, of course, we just finished with the war. Um, People were already pretty bummed out and a lot of places were not reporting the full extent of this um, because, you know, of morale, because what have you. Um, So like people think China is now, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And actually, most of the accounts we have come from Western Europe and the USA, Um, But then you have places like China, Africa, you know, every continent was affected except for Antarctica by the, by the 1918 flu. But you only hear so much, which is where these massive jumps in numbers come from. But they say that one in three people were infected in the entire world, which is incredible. Um, So yeah, we're looking at a flu pandemic that killed more people than World War One and World War II, and possibly both combined. Um, the reason why they say that a lot of people don't talk about it, why it's become almost a forgotten pandemic, um, is because... They were all dead? Well, not quite. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, talking, that's, just, that's a lot of people, man. It is a lot of people. And rather than a large human narrative i mean when was the last time you saw a memorial or a statue dedicated to the 1918 flu pandemic rather than rather than a large human narrative it became a bunch of little personal and family tragedies Hmm. um it's possible that we as a collective had something called health threat fatigue so when we have a health disaster happen that is like the 1918 flu, most people who died were between 20 and 40 years old. Um, Mm. Something that affects a whole heck of a lot of people without, there's nothing you can do to prevent it. You can be as healthy as you want to be, but you still might get ill. Um, You know, and it's such a short period of time. It's deep, but it's short. And I think people get this thing called health threat fatigue, where it's so bad, people just don't want to talk about it. You know, it's almost like a burying your head in the sand and you don't want to hear about it because it's happening everywhere. Like those you know? stupid fuckers that are going down to Western Beach every weekend now, yeah? Yeah, kind of like that. Exactly. <laughs> okay, get you. I'm glad we can relate that into now terms. So the, the Spanish flu um, occurred in three waves. Um, from se- and the worst one was the second, which was September to December 1918. So when I talk about this, it's pretty much going to be from that that second wave um and i've got an account of victims of the spanish flu what would happen to them so it was a very speedy death very quick just like we're seeing with covid um one of the quotes i saw was fine in the morning dead by nightfall um 
victims would first complain of sore throats, headaches, and generalized aches, but then quickly became bedbound. Um, they would get blue-tinged lips, so they'd get cyanosis um, or blotches on their face, and their lungs would become congested with blood and struggled to produce oxygen. Some patients' teeth and nails fell out. Other patients became delirious and even violent or suicidal. Those who failed to rally succumbed to either the virus itself or, more often, as their lowered immune system allowed bacteria to invade the lungs to pneumonia. So they basically drown in their own bodily fluids. I'm glad we're talking about something so happy. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this just stop lifting. Always- just stop lifting. I mean, I-, I need to go and pop a Prozac at the moment, but yeah, carry on. At the time, <laughs> there was obviously, <laughs> there was no cure. There was no vaccine. All, you know, and there are accounts of doctors feeling absolutely hopeless in the face of this. Mm, um, I'm sure that's relatable to now. Certainly. I mean, we talk about the mental health of, you know, medical workers who blame themselves for death. One doctor said, give us another war with Germany, Mexico, and all the other heathenish countries in preference to another blast of this distressing flu. Man. Um, so nurses pretty much stepped up and became the heroes of this crisis. Um, but even their powers were limited. I mean, all nurses were doing were offering aspirin, morphine, um, other things to suppress the symptoms fluids and nourishment for their their patients and bed rest and you know ventilation which at the time ventilation was let's open all the windows and doors and keep things really airy that's one thing i was going to ask you because you're you're a bit smarter than me with that stuff like did they have any kind of ventilation then was it was it literally just let, let's let air waft over you <laughs> yeah it was pretty much throwing everything open they did um kind of a postural sort of um breathing thing um, and you can find like diagrams online about like different like ways you can kind of contort the body to make breathing easier, oh, okay. uh, which people still use. Um, I'll bear that in mind after a heavy night. As far as medical devices, I don't think there was a heck of a lot. Um, of course, a lot of stuff came out from the war. Yeah. Um, people were, there were all kinds of weird health fads going on at this time and health little cures for the flu, like you know, drinking raw eggs and all sorts of things that were supposed to put cocaine in your eyeballs because it keeps you extra, extra (laughs) crappy. Exactly. (laughs) Is your baby crying? Try morphine. Cocaine! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this podcast is not sponsored by any kind of drug and alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Also, don't do drugs. (laughs) Drugs are bad. So women took charge of the day-to-day care. It was very much the ladies. this was a time when a lot of care was also at home. So nurses would be going to people's houses, um, risking their lives um, and making themselves vulnerable to infection because they were so exhausted. Um, as w- one contemporary nurse put it, you start out to see 15 patients, but instead see 50 to 60 extremely ill people before day's end. Like, can you imagine giving care to 60 very critically ill people now, like in one day? No. That, I mean, like I said to you before with our friend Claire, she's been going from place to place and just uh. taking it on the chin. And it's, I mean, you shouldn't have to do it. It's not like a stiff upper lip thing. But and I know I'm like totally sidelining your section, but just the strength worry. that I've seen in people that work in healthcare, it's really, really humbling. 
and i'm sure a lot of my friends will corroborate like we we're not all shiny fantastic people that have great faith in humanity and just want to do lovely things um especially not the people that i know and that's why i love them Uh, (laughs) but yeah they actually care they're in care and they care which isn't always something you find sorry carry on no it's fine and actually this is kind of related so at the time uh most people saw nursing work as a natural job for women you know like you're a woman you should be doing this anyway and actually a lot of nurses saw the pandemic as a time to be taken seriously professionally and to sort of legitimize their career Mm. um another student nurse um named Mabel Chilson wrote in a diary that it actually felt really good to start work during this pandemic. She said, the nurses soon became the happiest family and when off duty, we had jolly good times. The greatest comfort we possessed was the knowledge that each girl was doing her best and making good as a nurse. Do you like my posh accent there? That was a posh accent. Well, kind of, I don't know. Give me a break. I'm American for God's sake. That was no, a, a no. chirpy, that was a chirpy 1918 accent. Let's just breathe past out there, go. No, it's so, true. I mean, like when I was working on the wards, my mum still works in the same hospital I had a job in. And it was the only time I could actually see her. Like I'd get in a shift for a, a bit earlier just so I could see my mum and have a cup of tea. You know, it was like a, you know, putting a dead body in between you's distance, which she always goes on about and I think's horrific. Um, but yeah, there is that camaraderie and that social interaction. I think working in crisis care or any kind of acute environment, you you either sink or swim. You have to build those strong bonds or you don't work effectively as teams. And even more so now, I've just, oh, man, I take my hat off. And there's not very many people that I admire in the world apart from my kid and my cat, but that's not a person. Not um, a person. <laughs> <laughs> there's one person that I admire. In this, and I, I just think it. it's, I think it's interesting how nurses were basically shit on and then they were like, oh, a pandemic. Now people will actually like, you know, value our contribution and look where we are now in 2020. Like, I know, right? You know, nothing has changed. Nothing has oh. fucking changed. Um, but it's a really bizarre time for us both to be studying, to be in health. I know like I'm going to be in my ivory tower working in management and you're going to be doing the clinical stuff because... I've, I've done that shit i'm done um <laughs> but it's it's a really odd time to be studying specifically in this sector and to watch the developments that are happening and the changes in priorities or the changes in the way society looks at healthcare workers because before it's kind of considered as i don't know a, an option that sometimes people went into because they didn't know what else to do or they would sort of gone into care work because um either you know circumstance forced them into it it's always been i mean i hate the term but it's like under skilled and geez man the amount of skill that you need even just to be interacting with people let alone the other stuff that goes along with it it's insulting and now for people to turn around and go we actually recognize you i'm like man this pill just seems all too late but thank you Uh i'll swallow it down i mean that's really the point of this like you know the doctors were essentially powerless because they didn't have something they could prescribe aside from palliative medicine, you know, and it was the nurses, it was just the basic care. And basically it was hospice care happening. You know, people would get, some people would get better, of course, but it was, 
it was the basic care. And when I say palliative medicine, I don't mean because somebody's dying. I mean, controlling symptoms rather than trying to cure an illness, um, you know, and that's what, that's what became important. But unfortunately, a lot of nurses got ill. A lot mm. of nurses died. Um, when I was researching this, I went through a New Zealand medical journal because I actually was looking specifically at a second year student nurse. Um, and her name was Hilda, Hilda Hooker. Let's not make fun of the dead. And there oh, Hilda, Hilda, poor Hilda. She was a second year student nurse, just like me. Um, and she died and her in this journal, in this New Zealand sort of medical journal, like nurses journal, there was page after page of obituaries for nurses and hers was nestled in there. Nurse to write obituaries, didn't you? I did actually. I did. I wrote, would get faxes from the church, from the funeral homes. Um, and we would have to kind of plug in the details into a little template unless the family paid for like a more elaborate or something else to say kind of thing. Um, or we'd scan accident reports, um, like, you know, the police reports and try to find people from the county that had died. And I'd write so there. Between doing that and working in Hot Topic when you were younger, <laughs> you just had all of the goth jobs, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> Pedestal. Try not to be jealous, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not even super goth, so. I know, I'm like, I'm omni goth compared to you. <laughs> so poor Hilda cut short her promise of great use great usefulness according to this uh journal um and there's a little picture of her that i found and a picture of her grave and it's really scroll sweet. down i want to have a look at that oh man yeah um i mean we'll post these pictures up on social media i'm guessing certainly oh yeah the, it brings it to life when you actually see someone's face doesn't it yeah, it was pretty much at that time in New Zealand, it was one trained nurse to 70 or 80 patients, wow. um, which is crazy. We talk about staffing shortages now. Um, most people remain in their own homes. Um, married nurses, if we talk about retired medical professionals coming in to help COVID, they're talking about married nurses leaving their, their domestic life and coming back into service now, because I guess when you got married, that was it, right? um i would have been happy doing that recently yeah right Bye. i mean yeah see you later i'm doing all the volunteering let's avoid this crippling end to a marriage we're now encountering exactly yeah. um in the uk it was you know it was nurses were dying all over the place you know actually at this time in the uk a woman mm. could be a doctor but she couldn't treat male patients what why uh well because of history i, I know That's yeah exactly it. Yeah, pretty much because Smashed having a because vaginas, I don't know. <laughs> but there's a really great account. I won't read the whole thing, obviously, because you know we'd be getting on. But there's a really great account um, called "Nurses Fell Like Nine Pins: Death and Bravery in the 1918 Flu Pandemic," um, mm -hmm. which was uh, written in the Guardian, um, and it's a it's a doctor's diary about the nurses in. Mar Marlebone? Oh, please help me. I'm an American and I can't pronounce this. Marlebone. 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 It's not Sorry, spelled that... like it's supposed to be. I was just going off to my happy place in my head for a second then. Then you just fucked up proper and it brought me right back home. <laughs> Marlebone Infirmary. Well done, babe. Well done. Yeah. And so the medical superintendent there um, kept an account of the nurses 
the really brave nurses that were helping patients and then literally nursing each other as they all just fell like quote nine pins and died. Um, Um, It was really unfortunate in the U S it was the same. There was a shortage of nurses. Um, One official in Philadelphia declared and Philadelphia was hit really hard. Um, If you would ask me the three things Philadelphia needs to conquer the epidemic, I would tell you nurses, more nurses and yet more nurses. That should be our philosophy now, shouldn't it? Exactly. And Don't actually, where your bursaries give you money to actually do a job that's going to save people's lives instead of trying to screw you over just for doing the job. Sorry. Certainly. The funny thing is, um, we are getting nurses out quicker. Um, third year student nurses can uh, sign on the registry early now. Um, really? We're getting, yeah, yeah. If you're in, you know, third year student nurses are actually. Uh, basically I think they're cutting like half a year off of their thing to go into onto the registry. So um, you get like restricted duties or will you be mentored? How does that work? I don't know exactly because I'm not, you know, I'm not a third year student nurse, so I didn't really look into it too much. Um, Maybe it'd be nice if one of our listeners, if they're working in healthcare, they can sort of just let us know because that'd be really interesting to hear if there's someone out there listening to us that's doing that kind of thing. Yeah, please do. Um, as second year, you know, we're, we're going into a paid placement. So we are basically working, but at a band, I believe it's a band three. So at a lower level, um, but we're still students. It's a bit weird. I don't know the thing, um, in the U S during the 1918 pandemic, a lot of shorter track courses developed to get more nurses out there. So it was only a six-month course of training. Can you imagine that? I um, wish. Um, like, and- just jab it in anywhere, get some blood out, and you're all good. Exactly. That was your training. And a lot of registered nurses really disliked this sort of fast tracking because they felt it diluted their professional status a lot. Yep. Um, and there are just there were all kinds of short-term nursing courses cropping up to meet the demand. Um, and apparently there was a hysterical desire, according to one nurse, on thousands of people to get into nursing, which is great. But at the same time, you've got to think, like, how many of those, <laughs> out of those thousands of people, how many were actually decent or good? I was thinking this, actually. I was thinking this in the car on the way over because, like, I popped out and did some foraging with the matriarch before we started recording this. And I was thinking on the car, in the car on the way back, like, do you think we'll see a surge in people wanting to do this kind of job? I think, oh God, with the whole like hero thing, the whole, oh, nurses are heroes. Oh, I think it definitely romanticizes the job. It makes it a yeah. lot easier when we die. In but that kind of reminds me of like um, when, when you used to have people sent off to war, like, oh, join up to the RAF. Wouldn't you want to marry a handsome pilot who's, <laughs> who's going to be a hero? And it's like people that work in healthcare are the new soldiers of this, this war against COVID. Yeah. And yeah. I, some of it, it just makes me cringe a little bit because it's, it's propaganda and it's romanticizing, you know, a job that is potentially going to be really risky. And I think the people that want to do it for the right reasons, mm-hmm. damn, like they need you do that stuff. But mm-hmm. I think you've got to be realistic about the risks involved and the fact it's not just going to be an easy job. It's not going to be something you're going to hero worshipped for every two seconds. Well, not just the job, it, the, getting the degree is really fucking difficult. And people don't realize, you know, 
it how hard it is to get a nursing degree you know that conversations we have to get what were you doing last was it the oh pharmacology were you doing oh yeah 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 pharmacology oh, oh. yeah i don't yeah. okay um it's yeah it's a it's a difficult degree to get and of course you're paying all that money to get this degree mm. um i remember <laughs> i remember reading about some of these student nurses in the 1918 pandemic and one of them mentioned it was for hilda for um this our second year uh, nurse that died and they mentioned that she Ms. was a, she yeah miss hooker um it mentioned that she was a fee-paying probationer nurse and I'm like, oh my God, she had to pay a fee to go and die. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm paying. <laughs> I mean, Welcome to reality. <laughs> wait a minute, nothing is That's changed. my life. <laughs> I mean, to be oh. fair, we, we are getting paid for the six weeks um, emergency placement we're doing. And so you yeah. should be. But we're still paying, we're also paying our fees still. So <laughs> how does that work? I don't know. Um, it won't the next. It's just, you know, when I looking into this pandemic and how nurses, you know, what nurses were doing and how they were viewed, nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing. And I get that feeling that that one nurse that that one really optimistic student nurse wrote saying, you know, this is a great time to, you know, show the world that nurses are doing really good. Um, and it is, but at the same time, I just fear that like what happened in 1918, people are going to forget, you know, I get you. I get you. And I really hope people don't, but yeah, I think you got to maintain that, that optimism that people have the capacity to change and change their mindsets. Um, even though realistically, lots of people probably won't, but I think it's just down to us as individuals to do our little bit to change our own mindsets and be morally responsible when it comes to actually giving a shit about other people and looking after the people that look after you. Exactly. I mean, it's all you can do is kind of care for people in the present, but at the same time, what can you do to, to, you know, the pandemic, what has changed exactly from 1918? We, you know, they did quarantine in 1918. They didn't have a cure. They didn't have a vaccine. All they could do was help symptoms. And that's exactly what we're doing now. Um, mm -hmm. Our technology is a bit better. Um, but at the same time, it also stretches our resources incredibly thin. Um, and it's gone back to <clears throat> nurses caring and, you know, carers caring and, you know, people just being able to try and comfort others in their, in their extreme illness. Um, was actually a really lovely moment. I think I shared it. I did share it with you because I was speaking about sort of how to approach it because it was such a a morbid and weird situation my friend abby she got taken into hospital and it was non-covid related but she is really really unwell and it was just so shit because we couldn't do anything we couldn't be there with her um but i i ended up having to travel to the the area where she she was in hospital because of my new job and i said to her look is your window overseeing the car park? Because I'm going to pitch up there and I'm going to tell you how much I love you through the window. And she actually waved a tissue out of the window that she was at. And I came over and I spoke, I've got pictures, I'll post it up on Facebook. It's just the sweetest thing ever. I was like almost in tears. She was hair hanging out the window like Rapunzel. It was just, oh. And just that way you can form connections with people. And I know it's just messed up time right now. Mm. But we're just doing our best. And me and you i know we're muddling through in our own ways and mm -hmm. you know me 
certainly not always functional ways, but we try our best. Um, and yeah, it's it's a strange old time, but we're going to be here right with you, episode exactly. by episode, talking about stuff and just mm-hmm. getting the fuck on with life. Exactly. And if you hate us, that's fine. You can focus all that negative energy on our voices. Fucking off. Listen to us. Yeah. And then it'll it'll make you feel better about your own life. Like, well, at least I'm yeah. not these people. So at least I sound like that nasally bastard on <laughs> Life and Children podcast. My life so much. It'd be like, you know, the audio version of watching Jeremy Kyle when that shit show was on TV. Like, I feel better about my own life because oh, at yeah. least I'm not these people. Exactly. Exactly. But you are like us. You are our people. You're listening to our show. You are. Yeah. You're now infected with our misfunctionalness. Most, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm rambling. I've got to start working 20 minutes. We've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes, man. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, let's wrap this up quickly then, shall we? Shall we do a quick version of our tough questions for each other? Let's do some tough questions. Go on, shoot one at me. Like it as All right. Do you ever, when you're caring for people in your field or when you were kind of in the field more <clears throat> um, and not doing like your cushy uh, online stuff, um did you ever did you ever feel like you had to step away from somebody because their problems were way too close to home for you yeah absolutely um when i was working on the wards i started working in inpatient environments when i was like 18 um i carried on working in them till i was 31 so a long time uh worked in various settings i worked in forensic settings and in a medium secure hospital so some of the people that have been there were there for things that perhaps, well, you definitely wouldn't want around your kids or people that are vulnerable. And sometimes separating that because the history that I've got and sort of the trials that I've been through are quite close to that. And, you know, childhood trauma and all that, that shit storm of stuff. So there were, yeah, there was on occasion times where I found it really, really difficult to provide care. But one thing I always prided myself on is no matter what thought process was going on in my head, no one would be able to tell any different, or I hope they wouldn't be able to tell any different. I never had anything said to me or highlighted. Um, But you look after everyone the same. And I think this would be a really, really good topic to talk about in future, actually, is caring for people that have done bad things and providing Oh yeah. But also when when shitty people die as well and like how the funerals are approached rolling on baby rolling on serial yeah. killers etc yes future topic write that but down yeah i mean i've worked with you know people that have murdered people or have have done some quite heinous things not everyone obviously um but it's been difficult to process at times so yeah yeah there has been that sort of ethical mm-hmm. distress that i've experienced as a practitioner but i think the one thing that is amazing about mental health staff is you would never be able to tell what they were thinking because they just provide the same, the same quality level of care. And, you know, sometimes I have a bit of banter in the office, which is a bit dark, but that's how you survive. Exactly. That's just healthcare. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my life. Um, Yeah. My question to you was obviously you're really, really dedicated to wanting to care for people, but has, has COVID made you re-question whether you actually wanted to go into nursing? Because I think I'd be really scared if I was you right now. I tell you what, um, there's a joke in nursing that when you mention, you know, some horrible, deadly illness, tuberculosis, you know, COVID, whatever, 
you know, people, nurses are kind of like, eh, okay. And then when you mention something like bed bugs or DNV, nurses are like, no, like, <laughs> I'm... do not give me dysentery, give me COVID instead. Yeah, exactly. No, I, oh God, I'd, you know, I'm not saying I'd rather get COVID than bed bugs, but have you ever tried to get rid of bed bugs? Like, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, nursing has always held risk, you know, unless you're working in an office and you literally are not seeing patients or you're a researcher or something. To me, there's always been a risk there. Um, and there's all kinds of, I'm well into my epidemiology and my history, my medical history. And so I know that there are all kinds of horrible diseases far worse than COVID even. Um, and exactly what Claire was saying. She exactly. was like, well, I could go and have some horrible skanky ass disease or scabies or whatever else that I go to and deal with someone with. Why is this any different? And I was like, well, yeah, okay. All right. Exactly. And <laughs> Would I mean, you like risk- some chocolate and some crumpets? <laughs> the risk of COVID is, of course, death um, and a, a really horrible death at that. A very, mm-hmm. um, you know, but in the end, it's a fairly quick death. Um, you know, you're sick for a while and you either get better or you die. For me, that's not scary. For me, having a chronic lifelong condition is more scary because that's affecting my quality of life forever, you know? Um, Yeah. So no, COVID doesn't scare me. It doesn't make me question. If anything, when this outbreak happened, I was like, I want to get out there and I want to, I want to help. Um, of course my university said not till the end of June. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready for it. And the next flu pandemic that happens. And then we're going to be on this. Exactly. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully people will treat us nurses with respect by then. Wouldn't fucking count on it. <laughs> Clap for me. Clap for me. I'm oh. clapping with my one hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right, well, that could be a whole different topic, but let's not go there because I've got to start work in 10 minutes. We've got a full clinic list tonight, and yeah, I'm head of the helm, so better take a deep breath, go for a cigarette, and get my mental health on. All right, and I will do some yoga probably or something else active. God, you're exhausting. I know, it's sickening. Anyway, it's been nice chatting to you. And it has yeah. been lovely chatting with you. Episode and one, bashed out. Yes. All right. Life until death. We'll see you next time. Catch you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, uh, we love talking to you on the Life Until Death podcast, but we'd also love to hear from you too. Communication is a two-way street. So if you've got any tough questions that you want us to ask each other and make us feel uncomfortable, please send them in. Anything to do with mental health or death um, or whatever, really. Nothing Um, about sex lives or anything like that, guys, because my mom listens to this and she'll kick your ass online. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Don't be gross. Um, If you have any other uh comments questions or criticisms about the things that we've talked about or 
if there's something you really, really desperately want us to talk about, please, please tell us on our Facebook page, send us an email, you know, however you want to get in contact with us, please do so because we would love to hear from you. Thanks. <laughs>